0: Okay, um, 1947. Considered the greatest archaeological discovery. in the What was it? Yep. Dead, sea. Dead Sea Scrolls. A shepherd boy looking for a lost goat. Thought he went in one of these caves. It's not too far from the Dead Sea. He's throwing some rocks to scare out the goat, and it hits something hard. He goes in there and he finds these clay jumps. He opens them, he finds parchments. He doesn't think much of them. He takes them to some viewers in Jerusalem. They don't think that much of them. Uh, but one traveler that has a historical background with him, he knows they're onto something. And of course, this would become the great uh, Dead Sea Scroll discovery. There's the museum in Jerusalem. It's shaped like a clay vessel. And in there, it contains the display of the Dead Sea Scrolls. You can see it today when you go there. And there, in that cylinder, is the Book of Isaiah it's 24 feet long, when it's unfurled it's ten and a half inches high it has about fifty four panels and um, what? why is that so important? or why is that so significant? The, the whole Dead Sea Scroll discovery, let alone the book right here okay because these writings and some of these copies are from 200 years before Christ the nearest Total Old Testament scrolls written were about a 1,000 years after uh, A.D., you understand? And some people would say, well, there's been changes in the transmission, there's been, as as it's translated, you know, it's going to Hebrew, it's going to Greek, it's going to Latin, it's going to, you know, Islamic languages, but they found no. There's no, very, very little discrepancy, very little change would suggest the same God that gave his word is the same God that protected his word. And this is this, if anyone is really serious about looking at the evidence for the authenticity of the scripture, it's like God provided it. Remember, Thomas says, unless I see the wounds and touch, well, in a sense, this is what our Lord is doing. You want more proof? Here it is. Yeah, and if anybody wants to see more proofs, so it's necessary. Uh, how many of heard of the Big Cleveland Gathering at the IAC Center on May 10th? Anyone go This if you get a chance you can hear this man, of course it's a great time of fellowship, over a thousand people from all over the city of Cleveland. Breakfast, and then the speaker is uh, Jay Warner Wallace, and he was the famous homicide detective in Los Angeles. A cold case, if you ever watch 48 hours or unsolved cases, he was the guy, he's still one of he since retired, but he was a hardcore atheist like his dad. one of his fellow detectives said that, that wasn't Christian said, Why don't you look at the Bible, look at the Gospels, use your detective skill set and just disprove it or whatever, see what the evidence leads. He spent over a year doing it and he became a very strong Christian. Today he's very high demand he happens to be coming to Cleveland to speak, he wrote the book, Cold Case Christianity and he says if you have an open mind and if you use investigative skills you can prove this thing's from God. You can prove it's true. So anyhow, that's a little shot for that. So here's the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you go there today You will look at those scrolls, that's the book of Isaiah that he's looking at. It's just what we're looking at this morning. Just what we're looking at, of course, that's in Hebrew, and we're looking at the English, but nevertheless, that's how authentic this is, this is how valid this is. Okay, well, as we continue our study, and a lot of, what is Isaiah doing? I mean, he's doing a lot. The thing about the book of Isaiah, he's not just a prophet. He, he's, he tells so much more than just predictions. But, but it's, some of his main predictions are what about Israel? About, let's say about this northern kingdom. There warnings. Uh, there, there, there's judgment coming. I mean, it's going to come. You stray away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You, you, you've gotten into all this ideology and immorality. God has sent warning after warning. And now Assyria is going to come down. Like a, a beast or an animal, he's going to devour you, take you captive. That will happen roughly 720, 730 BC. So he's he's right there in that almost time frame. But then what does he say about the southern kingdom, which we call Judah, where Jerusalem is and everything? It's come. And that will be about 110 years later when Babylon comes out. That's the thing from where they destroy the temple and take Daniel and all these guys captive. And they'll be in Babylon in their captivity how many years? 70 years and they'll come back under the Persian king Cyrus and that's when last year we did the study on Nehemiah and Ezra, the rebuilding of the walls, rebuilding the temple. That's the time frame. But he does so much more. He tells us about the attributes of God. That God is just that God is holy, but God is also merciful when it says in Come let us reason together. Uh, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be as crimson. It tells us a lot about God. It tells us a lot about the Messiah. What's some of the things it tells us about the Messiah? He'd, he'd be born of a virgin birth. A suffering servant. Uh, uh, Isaiah 53, and it goes in high detail. He would not open his mouth. He wasn't. It wasn't for his transgression, but for our transgressions he was bruised. All kinds of things. That he would do miracles. The death would, you know, Isaiah 35. The death ears were all on the blind see. He talks about a new heaven and a new earth. All of these things are contained in the book of Isaiah. Some people call it uh, the gospel in the Old Testament. Uh, his style is very poetic. And some call him, uh, Isaiah the Shakespeare of the Old Testament. Because his high, the way he stylized and poetic language. Uh, but... Uh, He's really big on talking about this coming judgment, just not how it affects Israel, the northern the southern, but also the countries around there, Assyria, Babylon, Egypt, all these countries in it. We're going to skip 13 because this is a prophecy against Babylon. That has a future. When we pick this up again, uh, probably in the fall, God willing, we'll, we'll see this whole Babylon coming down. And then judgment. So we're going to skip because I want to get to Isaiah 14. And it will pick up on this house um, of God's mercy. He's going. It says in 14.1, for the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. That's often a term for the southern kingdom. Uh, in their land, uh, strangers will be joined with them, and they will cling to the house of Jacob. And then it talks about the coming judgment on the oppressors. Uh, uh, this is Babylon, it also involves Sennacherib of Assyria, but you come down to where I want to pick it up today, is when this judgment hits these earthly kings, it says in verse 9, I'm in Isaiah chapter 14, hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming, it steers up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth, it, uh, it has raised from the nations, all the kings of the nations, they shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we are? Uh, verse 11 your pomp is brought down to shield the sound of your stringed instruments the maggot is uh, Spread over under you the worms cover you and then he goes from speaking of an earthly king and then he like jumps He inserts this I mean under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit To this uh, verse 12 and what we're going to study today a little bit. He says oh, how are you? Are you fallen from heaven? Oh? Who? Morning star or Lucifer, which means the bright and shining one, okay? Um, Son of the morning, how are you cut down to the ground, you who are weak in the nations, plural. Now, what's happening here, and you'll see this in the prophecies, and we'll look at this in a little bit, the, the prophet starts talking about a local king, the king of Tyre, king of Babylon, and then he, he jumps and he, he starts, you know, why is his scope? You see, the same taking, like... Um, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, when God says to David, uh, "One of your sons, one of your offspring, will sit on the throne," and then it's going along and thinking, "Okay, Solomon, Solomon," and he goes, "His throne will be forever and ever; it will have no end, and it will be the throne over all Europe. earth." <laughs> See, he jumps, and then of course, the son of David, Jesus, he, he starts like local or temporal, earthly, and then it—does that make sense? We'll look at a little bit this in a moment. So he says here. Verse 12, chapter 14. Oh, how are you fallen from heaven? Oh, Lucifer, son of the morning. How are you cut down to the ground? You have weakened the nations. Now look at verse 13. And, and look what, what is he doing here, or what is he saying here? He says, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest pits, or the depths of the pit. What's, now once we look at this with Ezekiel 28, we're going to get more detail on this. But what's he saying here? Where where God has given us access, you know where somebody might say, well, do you ever hear somebody say, why did God create the devil? Did you ever hear that? Your response would be, "What?" He created Lucifer. He created a bright and shiny, luminous archangel, and he gave him a name. There's only three archangels that are named in the scripture. They are Michael, Gabriel, Lucifer. Okay, archangels. Now, there's cherubs in that, but they're not named specifically. But we see these, these three, and so what, what do we notice about him? What, what, what is the dominant sin, Michael? Pride. Pride. How many times does he say the pronoun I? Uh, I will ascend to the sides. I will be higher than God. I will be equal to God. I will do this. I will do this. And so we're seeing here, um, this whole study and discussion this morning, I want to look at this whole uh, situation, this, this, this whole phenomenon of, of the devil, okay, and what the scriptures say about it. Now, um, we don't want to go beyond what the scripture says, and we want to say, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, compare scripture with scripture, or spiritual with spiritual, and, 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 and be good workmen, as it says in Timothy, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we compare this scripture with this scripture, and we're trying to see what God has revealed about this particular thing. Any thought on any of this before we move forward? Okay because he wants it's it's contained in here in the old testament in the new testament he wants his children he wants believers to understand this stuff why so we can protect ourselves so we it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we are not to be ignorant of the strategies of satan peter says be alert be wait, be awake on guard for your enemy the devil goes about as a Line, whom he wow. dwell, you know, d- destroy. Jesus says, John chapter 10, verse 10, the enemy comes to do what? Kill Rob, kill, and destroy. Now, people that don't believe that there's a supernatural realm, I mean, pe- there's people that don't believe there's a God, there's people that does, do not believe that there's angels, they do not believe that there's a uh, demonic realm, they, they do not believe that they have a human soul. Okay, that's, what, that's their worldview. But what God has given us access to here is a whole lot of insight into that particular phenomenon. Does that make sense? It's a little like the Sadducees. They didn't believe in what? Yeah. Resurrection. Afterlife, resurrection, a spiritual soul. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> so, but we have access to this information. So He says here, "I will ascend above the heights of the clouds." I will be like the most high. What was his temptation to eat? You will be? Same thing here. You understand? Same, same. Nothing is is changed in terms of his there. And then, of course, we see his downfall. And we'll look at that when we get to the book of Revelation. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze upon you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth to tremble? see that's not just a normal king this this language is not about the king of Tyre or the king of Babylon or this although there are limited applications to an earthly king and their downfall and all this kind of stuff but this has a different uh, wording. does that make sense it's kind of elevated and spiritual here he says uh, you made the world as a wilderness you destroyed its cities you did not open the house of your prisoners and we're going to see one of the things, when we look at the titles of Satan, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who the God of this age has blinded. Like prisoners, bring them along. You understand? So you're picking up that kind of information way back here in the Old Testament. Okay. Now, let's compare these passages and turn uh, to Ezekiel uh, chapter 28. Ezekiel um, uh, chapter twenty-eight, and we're going to start. Um, it starts out in verse eleven uh, with this limited view of the the Son of Man. He says, "Son of Man." Uh, Verse 12, take up this lamentation against the king of Tyre, say to him, thus says the Lord God. Similar to what happens in Isaiah, but look at the language here. You were the seal of perfection. I mean, Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, verse 12. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. See, this cannot be an earthly, a normal earthly king in his downfall, okay? Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald. Do you see why he's called the, the brilliant one or the uh, Lucifer, you know, this uh, bright, shining kind of being? He says, uh, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Verse 14 says he's what? Anointed, Anointed what? Right away, at what time says he's in the Garden of Eden? It says he's he's called the anointed sheriff. What else does it say about him? That's not earthly. You're on the holy mountain. Okay, you're on the holy mountain. ordained or appointed of God, you know, for this special position. Anything else? You were blameless in your ways, you were You're, 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 you're created and professional. Anything else about it?
1: So wickedness was found in you. Okay, so now we see here,
0: this is important. This is, when you hit. When you partner this with isaiah 14 and you put these together it starts to give you more of a picture did god create the devil no when you look at all the attributes of this agent this this person that's really what it is it's a free moral agent uh, that has the capacity for free will okay to worship god to serve god or not unlike the rest of creation you know, a squirrel can only do a squirrel thing. The sun, the moon, the sun, and the moon. Yeah, they're, 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 they're downloaded, so to speak. But man, human beings and angels are free moral agents, so they have this capacity for choice. So we start to see this, and then we see how brilliant he is. Anytime the Bible uses all these precious stones, it's because they can reflect light. Yes, Michael.
1: Mm-hmm. And so the question would then be, why did he allow that to happen? To what end?
0: Which is, okay, let's open that up. There's the best part. To glory to God has Just a little longer. To
1: bring glory
0: to God as he defeats Satan in the end. And we can see how glorious and all powerful God is. That God might. Any other response? God will use everything that in the end He is glorified.
1: I also think one of the reasons is to just show us the sin of pride, to show us the downfall of that, where you can be at the, you know, that level and that pride,
0: how quickly that can bring you down. Oh yeah. Because I mean that that, that is the issue. Pride is the biggest issue. That's why it says in James chapter 4: God resists the proud. Pride is, pride is the capital sin. You know, I think it was Blaise Pascal says, Pride keeps us from heaven, but lust chains us to the earth. You know, pride keeps us, if I think I'm good, and I don't need any help, and I don't need a savior, and I'm as good as the other guy, that pride lifts me up. Well, if you get true humility and brokenness, God says, a broken and a contrite heart, I will in no wise refuse. Because why? Humility is simply knowing who God is and who I am and not get the two mixed up. You know, that's Satan's problem right here. This is Lucifer's problem, right? He wanted to be God. He wasn't satisfied that all God had given to him. And just think of Adam and Eve. I mean, think of it. You know, they're in the garden, all these fruit bearing trees all around. They weren't to be farmers, they were to be what? Gardener, like a gentleman farmer in England. Is that what you saw? They just attend the garden, took the flowers, and picked the fruit. <laughs> no pain, no suffering. And the chief command, Adam and Eve, is what? Have a lot of children. I mean that's what it said. And there's no pain in childbirth. It's like here. A rich uncle gives you a common a modern, You know, there you go, you got the fruit, you got to, and just have a great time. Oh, there's all the trees, maybe a thousand of them, maybe more. Don't eat of this one tree. Don't eat of this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because I don't want you to know that. But oh, there's the tree of life over there. You can partake of that. Okay. Do you think God stacked the cards Adam in Adam and Eve's favor? Yeah. Do you think that God stacked the cards that Lucifer would worship and serve him like Michael? Yeah. You know. That's why it says in Isaiah. Chapter 5, about the vineyard vineyard. He says, what more could I do? Just think of us here today. What more God, can God do in terms of revelation to reach lost people to come to him? Full Bible? The history? The resurrected? NT2? What more proof? You know? Yeah, somebody had their hand. Yes, please. I just want to make sure I understand um, so Lucifer became prideful about what
1: is
0: He, this is the key thing, is free will. Again, God could have created robots. I mean, robots are the rage today, right? I mean, that, in high tech, this is one of the biggest things going on. People are getting robots custom made, well, to be their friends. to be I mean, it's getting wild, but I'm just saying. But a robot can only do what a robot is programmed to do. Is that what God wanted? No. He. Just like if people just do what we make them to do, that's not, that's not called love. That's called a prisoner or an enslavement. They just do what you make want. That's not that's not love. And say God made angels free moral agents. God made humans free moral agents. That's why right at the beginning, you see God establish this, this uh, situation uh, for choice. You want to serve me or do you not want to serve me? And all through the scripture, you see this choice presented. You've got Cain, you got Abel. you got Joseph, you got his brothers. God says, this day I set before you what? Life and death. Choose life. At the crucifixion, there's two thieves on either side of Jesus. One mocks, ridicules, dismisses Jesus. The other chooses to serve, to, to, to call out. Jesus says this day. All through the scripture. That's, that's, that's really what's kind of going, if I mean, I'm going to boil it all down. We got 80, 90, hundred years to make a choice. You know, gonna you go this way, gonna go that way. You know, there's only two kinds of people in the world: he that hath the sun has life; he that hath not the sun shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth upon that person. John chapter three verse thirty-six. Yes, somebody had to one. Yes, please, Beth. Oh, it's interesting. In verse twelve, it says, "Who uh, was perfect beauty," whereas in Isaiah fifty-three it says. Uh, Jesus yeah right no comeliness that we should desire Well, yeah, I, I don't know if we'll get into this today, but one of the things that'll say in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 He says don't be surprised if, if the Satan comes at you And he's going to come at you as an angel of light
1: truth.
0: Okay, he does not come Usually, I'm saying in a grotesque, uh, you know, like the Hollywood, uh, demonic, you know, all that. He comes as an angel of light, And when they initially come, have to watch what I say, uh, like Joseph Smith or Muhammad, their initial messages are like kind and we're going to help you get rid of it. They come as with, with kind of a good me- messaging, you see, but it's full of lies. Does that make sense? That's why, well, I don't know if we'll get into it today, but I want to show... The impact and influence Satan has in, on the lives of unbelievers and how we as believers have victory over that if we follow God's instruction book. I don't know if we'll get to that today. We could do it when we come back together or continue with Isaiah. If you notice, my programming here is sometimes segues a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's necessary. Um, so, yeah, good point. Uh, this idea, he's, he was an angel of light there, and he comes in, in, in false... Uh, clothing. He comes as, as, as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Looks good. Sounds good. You know, maybe this is it. You know, and, and, and all around the world today we're going to see people are buying into things because they say it makes me feel better or it, it, he's a nice guy or he's a, you know, problematic. Why? Because Jesus says he's the father of lies. John chapter 8, verse forty-three. He's the father of lies. And that's the deal. I mean, if you make a cake, and you have all the right ingredients, vanilla, eggs, flour, sugar, everything. And it's really great. And at the end, you put in two drops of arsenic. Is that a good cake? No, looks good. My taste good. But that's, that's, that, that's the subtlety of lies. Okay, so here we see this idea. He says, uh, verse 14, you are the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You are on the holy mountain of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. It's suggested here he's in the very presence of God. If you see it, Michael, too, is very much in the very presence of God. Michael, the name, means what? That's a question, the word being in Hebrew, who is likened to God? Who is likened unto God? In other words, he reflecting the glory. Who is likened unto God? And so, that's where he seems to be. And when you study the scriptures, the the, the, the issue is not Satan versus Jesus. That's no context. Okay, he's the anointed. He's, he's the created. Jesus is the creator. The real rivalry, when we look into this, we'll look at it in a minute, Daniel, is between who? Satan and who? I'm Michael. Michael. Mm-hmm. Okay. In a spiritual, I'm talking about the spiritual realm. It's not, it's not... It's very interesting. When I was in Thailand, I saw this big poster. I don't know what, where they got this idea, but it shows Satan, this figure of Satan, and he's like arm wrestling the person of Jesus. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no, con- you understand there's no contest there. There's just, you have the creator, all powerful God, and then you have a created being. I don't care how powerful, he's still a created being. And that's why like, even in Revelation, when Jesus comes back to destroy all the enemies of Satan, all the armies aligned against him, how does he do it?
1: Same way he does in the, in
0: the temptation wilderness. He defeats him just with his word. No problem. You understand? But Michael, you'll see opposing him, and we'll see this in a minute when we look into the book of Daniel. Any other questions or comments on this? Do you, see, do you see how God's word, you go layer by layer? You don't want to stretch it and make it say something or that it doesn't say. That. You want to try to get a better understanding of what this is all about. And when we bring it full force to today, we're going to see... His influence in the world today—I mean, he's called the God of this age. It says in First John chapter five, the whole world lieth under the control of the wicked one. You see, Jesus says the prince of this world is coming, and he's been judged before Jesus. Right before Jesus goes to the cross, he look at the evil today. Look at that throughout human history—that is not always human-based. Okay, some of that is demonic entry points. We won't get into it today, but if you do any reading on this, and we have to do this, because in Southeast Asia, there's so much demonic activity. People actually invite demons, and, and we'll talk about that. But uh, this is real, you know, and he comes to do what? Rob, kill, and destroy. Do you think we see that in the world today? Yeah. That's why when they always try to get a motive, why did they do that? Why was there that mass But they, they never would even consider a potentially a demonic influence. Because we live in a materialistic match, and they're looking for, was it a drug, was it bullying? I'm not saying those factors don't enter in, but they never allow this potential scriptural response. Okay, he says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked back and forth into the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. There's your... That's your starting point right there, I mean in a sense. you see, It starts right there. He did not want to serve God. He was envious of others, he wanted to be God. It wasn't enough to be right there next to God, he wanted to be God. He's a rebel, you understand? And in his rebellion, we're gonna see he's gonna take a lot of other beings with him in a minute here. Uh, Verse 16, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned, therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing, out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. And then he goes down to say, you defiled your sanctuaries, the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore I brought you I brought fire from the midst and devoured I turned you to ashes upon the earth, the sight of all who saw you, the people were astonished, uh, you have become a whore and be no more. In other words, we're going to see his ultimate doom in uh, Revelation 20 and uh, 21, his shield and then the lake of fire. He starts here, you see this descending movement uh, if, you, if you track it scripturally. Any thoughts on that? But we're going to look at this kind of spiritual warfare, and you'll see this in in, in, uh, Daniel, if you turn to Daniel uh, for a moment. Daniel uh, chapter 10, Um, uh, this is where Daniel, he's in captivity, it kind of relates to the book of Isaiah, this is uh, when the southern king goes into captivity, they're in Babylon, and he's praying, and God's going to release a message to him, actually a prophetic message, a very important prophetic message and uh but as as he's praying it says in chapter 10 of daniel um, verse 10 suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands i like the king james it made me tremble on my knees and the, this is an angelic touch here and he said to me oh daniel man greatly greatly beloved understand the words that i speak to you and stand upright For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself. How many days did he pray and fast? 21. He says, from the first day you started, he says, before your God, your words were heard. In other words, they came up to heaven. And I have come because of your words. Now notice this. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, who? Michael. One of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone, and there was none uh, with me in the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. And so he's saying, I came, um, but I was interfered uh, what this this powerful prince, this angelic being. It's not a natural prince. He's it's, 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 it's got uh, issues going on here. And then he says, uh, he says, therefore he comes down, and he says, verse 20, then he said, do you know why I have come to you? This is Gabriel. We're going to see later. This is Gabriel. And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone, indeed the prince of Greece will come. Behold, so he's saying, he, he's, God dispatches Gabriel to bring a message of revelation to Daniel, but in the process, in the in the spiritual realm, he's going to be interfered with uh, by Satan. You see, that's where the realm, that's where the conflict is, and we're really going to see this uh, when we look at Revelation chapter 12, how this this thing happens. This is this, this this back and forth is going on. Gabriel tends to be a messenger. Who else does he bring a message to? Mary and and, uh, and Elizabeth, it's Gabriel by name. He, Joseph will get a dream, I believe. Yeah. Any thoughts on this? But I just want you to see the scenario. You know, how, how does this stuff work itself out? And so let's look at this and this fighting aspect in the heavenlies for a moment and look at revelationship. Yes, Beth? Pardon me? Is it Michael or Gabriel? Gabriel speaking to him. Uh, let me see. Daniel. Gabriel will deliver the message. Michael runs interference. That's the key. Michael the prince or the exalted of the anointed one. Right. We'll see this again uh, emphasized if you look at uh, Revelation chapter 12. Yeah. Is Gabriel mentioned in chapter 10 by name? Gabriel is mentioned. Uh, let me double check here. He tends to be the messenger one. Um, What does it say? Let me look at 816 for a moment. What does it say? 816? Does it mention Gabriel? Okay, Gabriel. Okay. Uh, there's other instances, but, but the, the idea being here, of course, Gabriel is dispatched with the revelation to, to Daniel, the incredible revelation of the 70 weeks. But he, in the realm, we're going to see in a minute, when, when Satan is kicked out of heaven, it, it's suggested that he's the prince and power of the air now. We'll look at that in a minute. But he, he, he's, he's, he's a, uh, there's a blocking. He's, he's resisted by Satan. And Michael comes, dispatch, and moves him aside and battles with him somehow. Does that make sense? It's really interesting when you get into this. you got to kind of stay with the scriptures and not move too far out. You know, because sometimes books are written and stuff. I think they go a little beyond what the scripture intends. But if you look at Revelation chapter 12, uh, this is the famous vision, of course, John has. Um, and this is where we see, uh, actually... If somebody would read Revelation chapter 12, 1 through 3, please. Okay, so here, here John is getting this heavenly this vision. Uh, he looks and he sees this woman clothed with the sun, the moon, and the twelve stars. Where do you see that? That that uh, sun, moon, and twelve stars in the Old Testament? Joseph 3. Joseph's 3. Remember, he says, and I saw my brothers. First, he sees them as she all without before me, and then Jacob comes. He says, I saw my brothers as stock. They got bowed before me, and who else bowed before me? Suggesting Jacob and his wife. And, and Jacob says, You mean your mother and I will also bow before you? You know, but if you study the book of Revelation, you have to be ready to gather, to do scripture to scripture. And this could be a clear picture of Israel. Okay? And Israel is going to, and of course, from Israel will come the Messiah. From Israel will come uh, the son of David. You know, and he's, he's coming, and it says, um, Verse 3, another sign appeared in heaven. Now look at the titles here. Great fiery red dragon. Well, in Genesis, he's a snake. Here he's a dragon. Seven heads, ten horns. Now this here, verse 4. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now some theologians suggest what? This indicates what? In his rebellion, perhaps a third of the angelic realm follow him. We don't know. I mean... There's other scriptures you can look at. but we do know that what we call uh, demons, uh, unclean spirits, would be those fallen angels. Is that there's no such thing as ghosts and these? But those would be those fallen angels, and they have power. And we're going to see they have stages. Remember, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's limited. He's got power, but he's limited. But he does have the suggesting ranks, powers. You know hierarchy, almost like a military hierarchy, has, yes. and uh, powers, principalities, uh, spiritual forces in high places, in, in that's why when Jesus comes to deliver the little boy that was possessed, remember he kept throwing himself in the fire, and he cast him out, and, and then the apostles say, well, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says, what? This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting, it's just, it was a stronger, it wasn't the regular kind of more stronger. <clears throat> and it's the same thing when Jesus uh, on Mark chapter five encounters the Gadara in the cemetery, and he goes to deliver him, and he says, What's your name? And he says, What? Legion. Legion. That's a military term, which suggests many. Do you understand this? You know, again, we should we should at least be aware of what the scripture says about our foe, our the enemy, that has so many people today in bondage. Really? We'll see how that works. Any thought on any of this? Okay. So it says here, um, the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as a student. And we know when when Jesus comes, even at his birth, you know, Herod's inspired to do what?
1: Kill him. Kill him.
0: Okay. And now we see this war in heaven, verse 7. A war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with... The dragon and the dragon and his angels Do you understand so this kind of clips in with the fact that when he gets thrown out uh, perhaps a third we don't know what that would mean uh, follow him uh, and of course there's no hope for them in terms of uh, forgiveness or restoration they they're locked in to who they are or what they are uh, any questions on this or thoughts on any of this does that does that start to sketch kind of like a scenario on this okay a war broke out in heaven Michael and his angels fought with the dragon the dragon and his angels but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer this is their their rebellion you understand casting out so the great dragon was cast out and the serpent look at the titles here great dragon was cast out that serpent of old Genesis called the devil and Satan who deceives there's one of his major tools the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, once he's out of there, he's not, he's not chained yet. We understand it. He has freedom to roam. Now, we go to, we, depending on how we far we go with this. If you look at Job chapter one, where do we find Satan? Before come the go with yeah. He, he, he comes with the sons. It comes with other angels into the presence of God, and God says to Satan, "Where are you coming from?" And he says, "What." going to and fro up and down the earth just like Peter says like a roaring lion and he says God says have you considered my servant Job? and he says well let me get at him you know in other words it's very interesting when we get a window into the spiritual realm very interesting and because then we get a good idea of his tactics and his strategy does that make sense? it better equips us I think as believers especially with this whole area of deception and lies Big, big. Mike, did you have a Okay, Okay, so, and we'll look at this in a moment, his realm today. Uh, Then I heard uh, a loud voice in heaven now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. That's one of his titles, the accuser um, of our brothers uh, who accused them before our God day and night. See, that's one of his his things, is accusing. What does he think he accuses us of? Everything. Okay, but who's our advocate? Jesus. Ah, when he ever liveth to do what? Make intercession on our behalf. You understand this? Because understand, he comes first as tempter, and he wants us to fall, and to take the bait, and to sin. But as a believer, if we fall for that and we sin, remember Peter denied Jesus three times publicly, he then puts what hat on? Takes off the tempter's hat and puts on what hat? the accuser, and might say what? Do you think God could forgive you? Do you think God could ever use you? Do you accuse, 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 accuse? And so when we have a right understanding of his strategy, it's actually quite empowering to us as believers. You know, knowledge is power. Spiritual knowledge is big-time power, okay, if it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Okay, yes, Fred. I've
1: been asked a question. Satan had been
0: forgiven at some point in time. I know well, You know the problem? Satan, unlike human beings, he was where? In the presence
1: of, God. presence
0: of God. He was in the very presence of God. He knew. I mean, he he he, he knew what he was doing when he turned his back on God and went that. We don't live in the daily presence of God. That's why we move by faith. By faith. You understand? And therefore... Um, what is suggested is once they made that choice, we don't know how long a duration that took and when all that rebellion took place, once it was fixed, it's almost like what all those people decided to leave uh, Moses and the Ten Commandments, and, and Moses says, everybody, you stand over here, everybody, you stand over here, and then what happens? The earth opens, they go down, it closes up. There's a big lesson for everybody there. You know, <laughs> choose wisely. But there's, there's a sense that, no, their, their destiny is fixed. Their destiny is fixed. The angelic that fell with him. And that's why they'll even plead with Jesus when he cast the demons out of the demoniac. Uh, Let us go into the pigs. Don't send us to that place before our time. You see, don't uh, give us a host. In other words, give us a place where we can inhabit and torment. Okay, uh, the accuser, of the brethren. And, but I love this verse 11. They overcame him how? by the blood of the lamb, that's your first critical issue. Now look, Pharaoh was very much a type or a picture of Satan. Why? Number one, he has enslaved God's people. Number two, he oppressed them daily. Number three, he killed them if he wanted to. Remember the little babies when Moses was rescued. Uh, He kept the strong, he didn't let them worship the true God. They had all these different gods. They they lived in darkness. They weren't even a people then. They were a slave class. What was the final thing that got them released from slavery, oppression, and everything else? The blood of the land. The blood of the land. You see? God's picture is perfect. God's story, for anyone that cares to look into it, it is a beautiful, harmonious, single story. It is his story from beginning to end. And how do, we have, how do we set free from prison, from darkness, oppression, wasted living? Through the blood of the lamb and death. Because God says, when, when the angel of death goes over, what I see the blood, I will... Death. And they weren't just liberated from slavery, but they were headed where? God just doesn't save us from something, he saves us to something. And Jesus wants us to live the abundant life. That's why it will say in John chapter 10, verse 10, the enemy comes to rob, kill, destroy, very much a type of Egypt, Pharaoh. But same verse, Jesus says, but I come that you might have life and life abundantly. And we're going to look at that, how God has called us to be a victorious people in terms of peace and purpose and direction and influence and power. I'm not talking prosperity and cattle. I'm not knocking those things, but I'm just saying what he wants us to be is spiritually uh, mature, uh, sons and daughters of God does that make sense okay uh, and then it says here uh, they overcame it by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies and they did not love their lives to death and you can imagine these letters this letter was being written to people all through the Roman Empire <laughs> they had to take hold of this thing why their lives were being you know destroyed or imprisoned or lost of occupation you know just terrible they knew, stay stay strong, the land has overcome. But, you know, you we know, see all of these things. And uh, their testimony would become their death warrant, literally. I mean, it would, because remember, Rome didn't really care, if you studied ancient history, uh, what you believed in. You know, There was many gods back there, there Venus and Diana and Zeus and all this. They didn't care about that. What they did care about, would you worship the emperor? They call him the, the Son of God. I mean, you see it on their coins, you know, Caesar Augustus. You know. And they would want their citizenry to go before one of the shrines of Caesar or Nero and take a pinch of incense, throw it on the fire, and say, "What Caesar is Lord." See? And the Christians wouldn't do that little act because no, they said Jesus is Lord, and that could cost their lives. That was the <laughs> that was their word of their testimony. You know. It's a very powerful thing when you think about what we have and how God has empowered us. Any question on this? I'm just kind of bringing this old into new, and we'll see application in our own lives. Turn for a moment to Luke chapter 10. (laughs) See, I'm really not teaching this, I'm getting fed in here. (laughs) Okay, Uh, this is when Jesus sends out the 70 okay and um, he sends them all through the country of Israel with the good news and he empowers them you know to cast out demons preach the good news and cast out demons but look when they return Uh, verse 17 it says and the 70 return with joy Uh, very similar to to Matt's message this morning when we go out and you touch a life or just a little you know encouragement or share your testimony that's joyful thing that is a joyful thing he says they return with joy saying Lord even the demons are subject to your name look at the power he gave these rather common men uh, fishermen and tax collectors shopkeepers even the demons are subject to your name not our name not any special ritual we do but your name then Jesus says he doesn't he cuts right to the chase. He says what in verse eighteen? He said to them, What? I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Powerful. Jesus saw it. He knew, you know, he, he saw the downfall of Satan. What was that reference to Luke? Luke chapter ten. Verse eighteen i saw isn't that a powerful thing i saw satan fall like lightning now don't forget he was a lighted being he was a very so when he falls that light literally could have been like light falling and he's going to fall and uh jesus of course will say here verse 19 behold i give you authority to do what trample on what serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you." Now, is he referring to, to the insects, scorpions, and the snakes here? No, we we're not, we're not like some, <laughs> some places that south sound we you know, <laughs> rattlesnakes to church and we hold them to see if we have faith. No, scorpions and serpents are metaphors of the demonic, okay? They're metaphors for the demonic, and when he says, I give you power to trample on them, that is a victorious position. See, when you trample upon your enemy, that, you, that means you put them underfoot. But just like this, back in uh, Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he says uh, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent, that that crushing in ancient times was capitas. That's the headshot. You, you're victorious over them. Well it's not our own authority our own power it's only the position we have in christ you see we're going to learn this in, in, a, in if we get to the next class perhaps on our spiritual authority as believers but one of the things when we become a christian where is our spiritual authority and where are we seated positionally in, in the heavens? Okay, and we're going to see in a moment that Satan and his minions are the prince and power of the air. If we're seated positionally in terms of authority with Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, Colossians chapter that means we're above and we are over. Now this is very important where we minister in Southeast Asia. I know missionaries in Indonesia from Africa, and the demonic is very real, and it keeps people in bondage, even on a daily basis. You'd be surprised. Uh, Matter of fact, I think at our table next one we could do the mission display. I'll show you a whole book we study. It just shows the powers of darkness. It's called the spirit world of Southeast Asia. Spirit houses, charms, bracelets, wizards, shamans, all this. But when they come to know that through Christ they can not only have freedom and forgiveness, but power over the demonic, that is liberating. That is, it's almost like prisoners literally being set free. Handcuffs fall off, you go out the door. Any thought on that So that's what he's saying here. But of course, then Jesus says, um, nevertheless, verse 20, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather what? Rejoice why? Your names are written in heaven. You see? Yeah, you have power in my name, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. So uh, salvation is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah we have power but we always remember that he is he has written our names on the lambs book of life he has gone to prepare a place for us he has done this you know all of these kind of features uh, that really amazingly enrich us as believers sometimes we may not realize everything we have in Christ that's why when we study the scriptures we're just highly resourced people okay um, now I want to just show a couple things before we close here Um, here's here's the book of job when i said uh, when you catch this glimpse of heaven uh now there was a day when the sons of god came to to present themselves before the lord and satan came also among them the lord said to satan whence comest thou then satan answered the lord and said from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it you see that that idea he's he, he has access now he's kicked out of heaven but he has access to the earth okay again he's not only present some not omniscient, but him and his minions, him and the demonic, have, 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 uh, they traffic on the earth. Now. Uh, here's in Zechariah, the prophet gets a heavenly vision. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to what? accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Uh, so again, every, there's places where you get these little glimpses of what's going on in the heavenly realm. I uh, hear some of the titles. Uh, you learn a lot about a person by the titles or names that he's called. He's called the ruler of this world by Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 30. It says in 1 John 5:19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. This whole world is laid under the sway of the wicked one. Uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, I didn't put 2 Corinthians 4:4 4, 4 says the God of this age has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. He's called the father of lies, or the author of all lies. He's the angel of light. And this is very important when we study different belief systems and how these prophets and these different uh, teachers and stuff approach a very well-meaning, even attractive initially, even even the ones that lead their people into uh, destruction, Jim Jones, David Koresh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They come initially uh, doing good stuff, so to speak. Uh, he's deceiver. That's his key instrument his lies. Uh, he's the prince in the power of the air. Now, this is important when we look at his present uh, realm or his pl- present place of uh, activity. Uh, he's the prince in power of the air. And what it is, is he, Do you remember when Jesus gives the uh, parable, the, the sower and the reaper, uh, seed and the sower? And the first one that went out, the seed is what? The the, the Word of God. And then the soil is the human heart. It's hard ground. And the seed falls on hard ground. What comes and snatches it away? Birds of the air. Okay, got it. Okay, so he's got, we're gonna show you the power he has in the life of unbelievers. Not today, for sure. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. Okay, Uh, he's called the prince in power of the air. He's called the tempter. He's a murderer from the beginning. Uh, He's the ruler of darkness. Uh, Ephesians six twelve, and he's the enslaver. He's one that enslaves. He wants prisoners, and basically he wants to leave, get a prisoner and lead him into destruction. Either they're going to literally go into destruction. I mean, you think of the uh, suicide rate, and all these, other he, he can lead to destruction. That's what he wants, literally, physically, but first and foremost, spiritually. And and in the life of a believer, we have to be uh, careful because we, he can destroy our witness. I, I don't think. As a believer, he can destroy us and that relationship we have with God. But he can destroy our effectiveness. He can destroy our witness. Yes, Kevin. I think
1: that's why when you get up in the morning, you just don't take it for granted that you can walk through without him bothering you. think you should cover yourself with the armor of Christ. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Every day. Yeah. Every day. You just don't. Just don't gamble on that because he loves to get into your head, and, and even the slightest
1: thing you can turn around and make. You know, I've myself every morning
0: with You know what, I'm thinking when we get together two weeks from now, then, would you like to continue on this whole thing of yes. spiritual warfare? And what you said, Captain? I'd like you to even share, because the key is is to be prepared. See, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. It's not going mistake when our Lord gives to our Father that we ask for forgiveness and daily bread, but we also say what? Lord, lead us not into temptation, blah, blah. Deliver us from evil. That's a real prayer. You know, and your point about early in the morning and the start of day, it's like an old preacher friend of mine used to say, put your shoes way under your bed so when you get up in the morning, you have to be on your Jesus' again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think we're going to pick this up. Yes, Richard. Uh, just getting back to the Lord's prayer, just remember when he says, uh, Deliver us from evil. It's not evil, it's the evil one. Yes, sir. That's a good point, Richard. Yes, Marie. Uh, you
1: know, I have a really wants to make us of no effect. And so, um, yeah. And so, one of the books that uh, C.S. Lewis's, The Tape Letters, is a really good classic. It talks about letters written between two the devil's and what he does. You know, it gives a fairly um, good reaction of what
0: the devil's doing. Yeah, I think next time we get together, uh, we'll put up two charts. The influence he has in that life of an unbeliever, blinds their eyes, distortion, distraction. But then in the life of a believer, how much power we really have for greater is he that's he in the world. We're going to look at this, even the spiritual armor that you've you <laughs> set. Because we have a lot of power if we will properly submit to God, James chapter 4, and it says if we resist the devil, he will what? flee? Flee! He's afraid of what? Flee! He's quickly away. That's a lot of power but we can't take it for granted. Yes, Mike? You know, I didn't really fully cap,
1: you know, capture that understanding until I read uh, some stuff by Frank Peretti, uh-huh. you know, this President and mm-hmm. When I started reading that stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is not child's blood. I mean, this is real stuff. And, uh, so I, I, uh, I think that's something we've got to be mindful of because I, I think one of the things that happens, everybody wants to be happy, and I think that's, you know, Satan's playground too, because I, I think if you just are happy, which is a temporal feeling, versus true eternal joy in, in Christ, you know, he'll let you be very happy. You know, yeah. Satan will let that happen, he'll try to tempt you there, and then kind of like sugar it versus the real true depth of joy, and I think that's something we've we talked
0: about too. Yeah, I think we'll pick up on that, because in a sense, <coughs> once we're properly equipped believers, we have, by God's Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the capacity to set prisoners free. We don't. We don't. If we don't have a proper Christian worldview, we don't. Like to your point, maybe God's whole intent was to keep me happy and you know this and that. But no, He wants to use each one of us to invade darkness, to bring the kingdom of God and kind of push back the kingdom of darkness. That's why Matt's message is pushed back because we're going forward with the kingdom of light. And like I said last week, you know, Jesus called us to be salt in the earth. Not sugar. Okay. Yeah,
1: like Marie mentioned, this free tape of letters, uh, C.S. Lewis says, I don't make them so busy. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's true today. If you're not busy, you are like, what's wrong with you? You know, you're just, you know, you have to be busy and be important and useful. We're going to see one of the biggest tactics, not just the enemy, but maybe our own self,
0: is distraction. We'll talk about that next week. Yes. Got another great uh, author, almost compared to C.S. Roger Elwood. He wrote a trilogy, Angel Walk. And the insight, of the angel that went before God, and said, I'm questioning where to go with Satan or stay with you. Uh-huh.
1: And the Lord allows him to come down. And the visual concept of what Satan has done to humanity. Yeah. So Dick, of course, he goes back to the Lord. But it's a wonderful read. What is see insight of Money.
0: Yeah, we'll talk more on that. Yes, Richard. I remember from a sermon years
1: ago by Earl Preston here, he said, Flee uh, from flee or run from
0: sin stand against the devil. Right, resist resist the devil. Right. Anyone else before we close in prayer? So, no class next week, and we'll pick up on this uh, next week, uh, the week after. <laughs> okay. okay? All right, who? They're, they're having the mission displays next week. Uh, Mike, would you close this? In-
1: Heavenly Father, we, have, we thank you for this, this time together this to morning to be in your word and to get a better understanding of the challenges we face. And let us know that none of these challenges are beyond you, Lord. Let us keep our focus on you as we uh, truly a and seek you in our daily, daily lives. We pray that as we leave here, that we think about you, and think about how we bring glory and honor to your name, and everything we say, do, and think. You the pressure as an right?